Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 153 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you for joining me. All right. We are almost done with our Kickstart series here, but we have two more really good sessions for you. Today, we are talking about what are the next steps? So what we've been really focused on in this Kickstart series is how to get going, how to start losing weight in a different approach that's actually going to last. But then what are your next steps for keeping it going? Where do people commonly get tripped up? That's what I'm talking about in this session uh, that I'm sharing with you. So as if you've been listening to these other episodes in the Kickstart series, if you haven't been listening, make sure you go back and listen to the other ones. But if you've been listening, you know that these are the live recordings of my teaching sessions that I did within my weight loss Kickstart challenge that I ran at the end of August. But there's so much good stuff in here that I really wanted to share with you, the podcast listeners, in case you missed out on that challenge. Uh, Today's episode, I think, is a really good one. We often don't think about where we're going to get tripped up. We kind of think about starting. We don't necessarily think about keeping going and what's going to stop us from keeping going. And I think that can be a really powerful place to look. Uh, And that's what we're talking about today. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. Today, we are talking about next steps. That's the theme of today's session. Uh, Today's day 10 of the challenge. You made it through all 10 days. Nice work. Congratulations. Uh, And I really hope that you feel like you've learned a lot, like your thinking and approaches to weight loss have shifted uh, during this challenge. And I, I hope too that you also are feeling a sense of hope that it can be different and that it doesn't have to feel the same way that it's felt uh, so far in your life. Um, that maybe you can find a way of losing weight, eating healthy, doing all the things that we want for ourselves in a way that we actually like and that you enjoy and it makes your life feel better. So uh, just a little bit of housekeeping stuff. Thank you to all of you who came to the coaching call Last night, that was the coaching call that was offered to anybody on the wait list. I know a few of you guys were able to make it, and that was awesome. I hope that that was helpful. I know we covered some really good topics in that. Uh, that was not recorded in, for anybody listening to this who's wondering about watching a replay. We didn't record that just for confidentiality purposes. Um, but inside Stress Eating SOS, if any of you do join me in Stress Eating SOS, uh, all of the coaching calls are recorded there. And you do have access to all the replays as well as you have access to them on a private podcast, which is new this time, meaning you can subscribe on your podcast player and make it really easy to access them on the go. Um, But last night's because it was offered to people who aren't actually members, um, just for confidentiality purposes, I chose not to record that one. All right, today is the last official content session. Tomorrow afternoon, we are doing a Q&A 
uh, to answer your final questions. So there'll be a post today asking you to tell me your questions if you can't make it live. But I encourage you to make it live, kind of thinking about tomorrow as being like the wrap-up, last opportunity uh, to make use of me, ask me any of the questions that you might have. Um, and so that's tomorrow at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so mark your calendars and consider coming and showing up live or at least think of what questions you'd like me to answer and post them in the Facebook group if you can't come live. So I have the opportunity to answer them for you. Um, now, if you haven't, if you've missed, I know we've done a lot of sessions in these 10 days. If you have missed some, just make sure you take time to watch the replays. We have been covering a lot of stuff. Like when I think back, when I was preparing today's talk, I was thinking of everything that we've covered. I'm like, there has been a lot of content that I've been teaching you guys in these 10 days. So even if you've watched each episode as it's come out, I'd really encourage you to rewatch some of them. And definitely if you've missed some, watch them because... Uh, there within the, the topics for the challenge, these live sessions, I've added so much extra stuff in there and done so many little teaching points. The first time you watch it, you'll take like a percent away with you. But if you watch it again or again, that's when you really start retaining more and more information from these talks. So watch the replays is my encouragement. If you're in the Facebook group, they're all available in the Facebook group. If you're not in the Facebook group, the replays are all available on a replay page. Every time you guys get an email, there's a link to watch the replays. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Okay. What I, oh, and I wanted to say congrats to Sophie KC in the Facebook group. Uh, she won the random draw for a free coaching session with me, which is really awesome. Uh, uh, you, the a free coaching session, and so private coaching. I don't actually do private coaching uh, anymore. I used to, um, but I don't offer it, except for these very specific little situations. So it's very special that uh, Sophie, you won one of these free coaching sessions with me, and so in that session, uh, Sophie will have a chance to just talk to me, just one on one, and tell me what's bugging her, and we'll coach and work and find solutions, which is exciting. All right. I see your question, Marina. Um, I'm going to, I'll come to that. I'll answer your question about uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, just a couple more things. What we're going to do today is I was going to review what we've covered so far. Like I said, it's been a lot. I think it's worthwhile going through and just reminding us of what we have covered. It's really easy. Um, you know, our physician brains were very judgmental on ourselves. So it's really easy to get through something like this 10 day challenge and then think, Oh, you know, I didn't do enough. I didn't learn enough. And what I want to point out to you is probably actually learned and had more shifts than what you think you have. Um, and uh, so that's why I thought we'd go through what we've actually covered. And then what I'm going to talk about is what are the next steps? What do you need to do to keep moving forward? Uh, if you have a weight loss goal or if you just have goals of sticking to your healthy eating, what does that actually take to do that on a consistent basis? as well as what are some mistakes we make? What are some obstacles you may encounter along the road? What might get in your way between here at the end of the challenge and actually getting to your goal? So we're going to talk about all that today. All right, let's talk about where we've been, what we've covered already. So the first is we start talking about with the theme of like, how do you want this to go? And I know this was a question most of you have probably never asked yourself, but what I encourage you to encourage you to do in the first session is to think through how do you actually want 
to live your life losing weight, but then also maintaining it. Um, and with the recognition that the mistake we often make is we start really um, all gung-ho. We're willing to tolerate discomfort. We're willing to tolerate things in the short term that we may not actually be willing to tolerate in the long term. And yet, what we know about weight loss is if you lose weight, if you want to maintain that weight loss, you pretty much have to do the same things to maintain it as what you did to lose it. There's not a lot of room for just going back to old ways of eating. But diet culture has taught us the opposite, right? It's taught us just lose the weight, then you go back to your normal. Even our, the food guides and the food pyramids kind of teach us that. Like, you, everybody should eat everything in moderation. I don't think that's actually true. As an obesity medicine physician, if you have a body that is prone to obesity or prone to hold on to weight, uh, everything in moderation may not actually work for you. Um, and so what we need to do then is come up with how do you want to eat that you like, that you enjoy, that you're satisfied with, that you can just keep going for the rest of your life. And in that first time, we or the first video, we talked about the concept of there's no finish line. That we've been taught with diet that you'll cross some sort of line and then everything's going to be fine. We know that's not true with human bodies. If you, if when you, there's no line to cross when you lose your weight, when you reach your goal, you have to keep focusing on what you're doing or else the weight regain comes back. So if you approach this time around, you approach this weight loss with the view that there is no finish line, how would you design it from the beginning? Maybe you won't design it to be super restrictive at the beginning. Maybe those things that you were willing to tolerate before, you were willing to tolerate them because somewhere in the back of your mind, you were thinking there was going to be a finish line. Now, I don't mean to bring up the whole finish line thing to be like, uh, wah, wah, <laughs> this is horrible. But it's a reality. And what I really believe is if we plan for the realities, and again, we plan for the reality and decide to plan in a way that we actually like, that we enjoy, that we're happy with, well, then it doesn't matter that there's no finish line. Um, as you go through this, if there's no finish line, but you're loving what you're doing and you're enjoying the food you eat, it's not that big of a deal. You just keep doing it. And that's really what we want to aim for to get lasting weight loss. Uh, we then talked about how weight loss is about so much more than the food. We talked about how what to eat, that diet is like a little piece of the puzzle, but then there's all this other step around it of why do we eat the way we do? Why is it sometimes hard to actually eat how we want to eat uh, when we um, you know, have good intentions? We know we want to eat that way, and yet we find ourselves eating the opposite type of foods. There's so much more to that puzzle. Um, and we started to work on it, started to talk about it a bit in the second video. And we talked about because there's so much more to that puzzle, a diet can't fix weight loss in the long term. It definitely can't fix stress, emotional, binge eating, feeling out of control around food. Diets don't fix any of that. What you need to find solutions for all of that is a customized approach. And that's what I teach because I really believe we are not one size fits all. Um, there are so many different unique aspects of us, even as physicians amongst different physicians, there's a lot of unique aspects about our schedules, the type of work we do, the type of stress we're under, what our home life is like, what our preferences are like, what our bodies are like. There's so many different variables. So the way to do this successfully is to develop a customized approach that actually addresses all of your unique variables. And 
I think to make it okay too, that you have unique variables to make it okay. It's not that you were doing something wrong when those diets didn't work. It's just that they didn't take into account you as an individual. They were designed for a population basis, not a bunch of individuals. And that's why they don't always work on an individual basis. doesn't mean you were doing anything wrong. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with how your body handles food or how your brain handles food. It's just you are an individual. We all are. And so let's plan a way of approaching weight loss that honors that and takes into account uh, that. And that would be having a customized approach to weight loss. Um, we then talked about thoughts about food and that the power of how we think about our food can change our total experience with it. Same thing about our thoughts about weight loss and how we're losing weight. How we think about it can totally change our experience with it. Um, also, the other thing that came up in that session was thoughts about previous weight loss attempts. And I talked about how you often have uh, beliefs about your previous weight loss attempts that you then drag forward through your life. And it influences every subsequent weight loss attempt. And we need to look at that. We need to understand what we are dragging forward uh, in our beliefs, in our thoughts about how things have gone in the past, and how that's influencing us now. Um, then what we talked about is creating your own way of eating um, and the fact that it doesn't have to look like anybody else's diet. Uh, you can decide how you want it to look. And the important things with this is giving yourself permission that the first way you design it doesn't actually have to be the way it will always look. Uh, you don't have to get it right the first time. Uh, you s start with how you think might work. And then you give yourself permission to tweak it as you go. And really the core of this is trusting your inherent wisdom about what you think is going to work for you, but also what you think you're going to like. That's really important. Um, the, we're, we've been taught and trained to not trust our inherent wisdom. We've been taught and trained that we should trust somebody else's opinion, somebody else's expertise more than our own. And for this, I don't think that's actually true. I think the person that has the most knowledge about what will work in a day-by-day -day basis and a real-life situation for you is you. You can take all the information you've received over time, and I can, you know, I can teach you science about what we understand about weight loss and stuff. But you still then have to take it and formulate something that's going to work in your life with what your other demands are, with what you know, who else you're cooking for, and figure out a way of making it work that you actually like. Um, and there's, I know sometimes that creates like a bit of confusion where you're like, but I don't know what to do, or I don't know how to approach this. And that's okay. All those different opportunities, like every time you feel confused in this, it's an opportunity for figuring something else out. Think of that confusion as like just a flag of like, okay, there's something here that I just need to work through and figure out. Confusion does come with the diets too, but it's a different confusion, right? Because in a diet, you're being told exactly what to do. Then you often get confusion around how do I actually do that? Or um, I keep falling off this. How do I get back on? Like there's other places. Our brains like to be confused. An important thing to notice is when you do feel confused, confusion generally stops you. It slows you down. And so if your brain's wanting to be confused, it's probably slowing you down. It's better to reframe it and go, okay, I notice the confusion. I know that that's normal, but I'm just going to reframe it as this is just something I have to figure out. Don't need to be confused. I figure it out. Try something, see if it works. If it doesn't work, try something else. 
Um, the other thing we talked about designing your own way of eating that I see often come up is often um, our brains, because we're so dialed into diets, our brains start over with an over restriction option. Um, and they go to, I just have to be extra careful and essentially create a diet for you. Um, and then you think about following this plan that you created and it feels horrible. <laughs> You're like, oh, I really know I should follow my plan, but I don't want to. It's, and you have all these negative feelings towards your plan. You resent the plan. You wish you didn't have to follow a plan. All these thoughts. What that says to me is the plan probably is more like a diet than actually what I'm talking about, which is designing something that you feel good about, that you like, that you're like, yeah, you know, I can eat anything. I talked about this in one of the calls. I have a belief, and this has helped me a lot. If I can eat anything I want at any time, there is no, I'm not allowed to eat this or I can't eat this. I can eat anything I want at any time. However, I generally don't choose to do that. And part of it is having the permission that I can takes away some of the desire. It takes away some of the like urgency and scarcity that we, that can drive eating because sometimes if we think I can't eat that, I'm not allowed to eat that. I can only eat that, you know, once a week or whatever rules we have about the eating. Then if we decide to eat, there's becomes this like scarcity of this is my only chance to do this. And then we end up overeating. However, if you approach it, like if you see somebody with donuts, say, and you like donuts, if you think I'm not allowed to eat those, then your brain will kick into, well, this might be my only chance, so I should eat them. Versus if you look at them and you're like, those look good. I could have donuts anytime. I could choose to eat those. Or do I, I could choose to not eat them. And if I want donuts down the road, I can go get donuts. It takes the like high stakes away and it decreases the desire for the food. It makes that decision of whether or not you eat to feel way less loaded. And that's a big topic I know. Um, and I'm kind of just scratching the surface of it in this. Uh, but just contemplate that, that perhaps if you, having a food plan that you've created feels uncomfortable, you probably have rules. And maybe giving yourself the permission that you could live without rules, but that maybe you have reasons why you make the food decisions you do. So just listen to my wording. The wording I'm using feels very different than I can't eat that, I can't eat that. Um, and it just little shifts like this. This is how weight loss is about more than just the food. These are changes on your thinking about the food that I'm talking about right here. And just feel how it changes, how it feels. Uh, if there's no food that's off limits, and yet you just have reasons that you like about why you don't eat just any food anytime, it makes making food decisions a lot easier. Um, and then what we talked about is what gets in your way of starting. And often that's perfectionism. The thought that everything needs to change at once creates a big barrier. Also, this whole thought of restriction that we kind of were touching on before. If you think when you get started, the world becomes this like gray nothingness and you never get joy from food again and you have to be perfect to be successful. Well, that's a big barrier to actually starting, right? It doesn't feel good to start. It feels like it's going to be a lot of work with no reward. So why would you start? So if you're somebody who struggles with actually getting going, this type of thinking is probably going on. And so watch, that was um, in the last session, Monday morning session. Uh, so watch that one, uh, session number four. 
And then we talked about how to measure progress and why what we've been taught to do, which is use a scale as the, the king of all measurements, why that might not actually be the right approach. It might not be the most effective approach for you. There may be better ways. Um, and so, and we talked about better ways. How else could you find other ways of measuring? How could you gather other data for how you want to measure your progress in this journey? Because um, sometimes the scale might reflect what's happening. It doesn't reflect it on a day to day basis, though. I think that's really important. Like when you step on the scale, it doesn't, it's not telling you what the impact of yesterday's choices were. It's telling you kind of the cumulative impact of recent choices which is far more general than I think what we make it mean. Um, but a lot of the changes we are talking about here might not be directly measurable on a scale. So you may want to come up with other ways of measuring your progress because you are making progress. You are making changes that are powerful and that are going to have really big impact in your life and probably on the scale. But they're not always as tangible as like just stepping on a scale. So you have to do a bit of thinking of how you're going to measuring it, measure it to see your progress. Okay, I'm going to answer, Marina, your question about uh, intermittent fasting before we get going on kind of next step stuff. So intermittent fasting, it ties in a little bit to what I've been talking about when we've been doing this review. Um, I think intermittent fasting can be a good tool. Uh, I think for some people's bodies, it does help with weight loss. However, I think it matters on how it feels for you because it gets used as a positive tool, but it also is really easy to use it as like a compensation. And so in one of the talks, it was the third session, um, which was last Wednesday, I believe, or last Thursday, um, when we were talking about what to eat. I, I talked about uh, binge restrict cycles, um, where, and this applies even if you don't have binge eating disorder, uh, if you just find you overeat, where often after we overeat, our collection of thoughts that we have about that overeating pushes us into over-restriction, which is essentially trying to compensate for what's actually what we ate before and thinking, okay, I'll do better today. I need to be extra careful today. Fasting frequently ends up on that side where uh, if you've ever catched your mind going, um, okay, I overate yesterday. I'm just going to fast a little longer tomorrow. Just notice it. And notice how that feels for you. Um, I think if you're fasting because you like how you feel when you're fasting, you find you get better energy, um, you like like just how it feels in your body, all of those would be positive reasons to fast. If you're fasting to compensate for food you've eaten already, um, if you're like fasting and it feels kind of heavy or negative, like oh, I'm not allowed to eat, I... Um, need to need to fast longer. That I'm less comfortable with. Like again, my whole approach is how do we do this so it makes your life better. And fasting in that use, I don't think always makes your life better. The other side of fasting that I see becoming um, like an obstacle is we have to watch how we think about the fasting while we're, while you're fasting. If you spend the time thinking about the fasting about like when do you get to eat and how many more hours until you can eat and what are you going to eat and how you've you know, not been eating anything. Um, that can really gear you up to overeat when you do break your fast. Um, so again, 
I always say approach stuff like a science experiment. If you want to try fasting, try it and see how it works. If you notice these things, like it feels horrible to fast, like mentally, you don't like it, you dread it, or you find you're overeating when you break a fast. What that says to me is it's just thought work to be done. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a good tool for you, but we have to work on how you're thinking about it um, to make it actually work for you. The other place that I don't really recommend fasting is if you do have binge eating disorder or if you're really struggling with eating in the evenings. Fasting isn't always a great option. Definitely in binge eating disorder, it's very likely if you are having episodes of binges and you're trying to fast, it's likely the fasting is playing into the binge restrict cycle, which then creates more binges. In evening eating, one of the tools I often talk about um, is like stabilizing your hunger hormones. So when you get home in the evening, you're still dealing with the stress and like that fatigue of the day, but then you don't always have the biological um, drive to eat if we've worked on your hunger hormones. And what that means is eating more earlier in the day, particularly foods that are very satiating, like more protein, more fat. So in that setting, if you're feeling out of control in the evenings, I often suggest doing an experiment of eating more earlier in the day and seeing if it quiets some of the chatter in the evening. Again, huge topic, uh, but that's kind of my um, overview take on it. Um, so for you, and what we've been talking about in this challenge is deciding within your customized approach, do you want to include fasting? And does it feel good? Are you including it because it feels good? And then if you're including it, what would that look like? Yeah, and Marina, you're saying there's some data that fasting is preventative for cancer and that's motivating. Yeah, and I think if it feels good for you in that way, you're like, I think overall for my health, I know some people um, feel that fasting is good for anti-aging and stuff. I think with nutritional science, I think there's always such um, back and forth in it that I, it's about finding what you actually feel fits for you and you believe in. And so it, those sorts of reasons, like I'm doing this because it might actually help my body be healthier, might help prevent cancer, if that's the data you believe in, then that probably is going to feel good. And then fasting might be a use, like a useful, good feeling tool to include. Um, but you just, uh, just play with it is my answer and kind of notice, notice how you feel around it. Because I think with a lot of things like fasting gets talked a lot about in like some of the physician groups, low carb eating gets talked a lot. And so then we as physicians, because we're high achievers, they're like, okay, I have to do that. And I have to do it at like, you know, a big level. And what I really would suggest in this group is, you know, take in all that information, but then watch that overachieving side of you and make sure you're doing it for reasons you like and that feel good for you um, and play with it that way. And, and if you really want to do it and it doesn't feel good right now, then that just means you work on your thinking around it. The thoughts you're using to do it right now might not be making you feel good. Doesn't mean you won't find them down the road. Yeah, and so Marina, you're saying it uh, often it can trigger binges, and and that's a real that is a real thing, and often kind of like some of the core of binge eating disorder treatment is just really regular meals um, to not have that binge restrict uh, cycles going on. Um, the other just while I'm talking about fasting, the other place that I 
uh, suggest exercising caution is if you've had a previous history of an eating disorder. So I know a lot of people, you know, maybe in teens or uh, young adulthood at some point in your life may have had some anorexia or uh, bulimia or other type of eating disorder. In that setting, I caution carefulness with uh, intermittent fasting because I think it can be that part of your brain that is prone to over-restriction and over uh, prone to distorted thinking around eating. It's quite easy for it to flip in and start getting a little bit of that going with fasting. So that would be the other uh, population that I would say exercise caution if you're thinking about fasting. All right, let's talk about next steps. What I like to think about is these three pillars for um, physician weight loss, for lasting weight loss. Um, And so the first step is eat food that satisfies you. So finding the foods that work for your body for weight loss, but that you're actually satisfied because it's not about spending your life feeling restricted. It's not about spending your life feeling hungry and wishing you could eat because again, those don't add up to sustainability. It's about figuring out the foods you eat that you feel satisfied on a physical level, but also uh, like food enjoyment level um, that work for you. That's pillar number one. Number two, and this is a big one, is identify and understand your eating triggers. So really getting curious and figuring out what triggers your eating, what makes you feel more out of control around food, what gives you cravings, and then how do you manage them? What are different solutions you can use to manage them? Um, pillar number three would be learning to experience your uh, emotions <clears throat> and your food cravings without eating. And the big thing here is learning to do that in a way that doesn't bother you. I'm not talking about like you feel sad and you really wish you could eat and you just hold up with willpower. It's more about honoring the actual experiencing your body of experiencing the sadness or whatever might be going on. Um, and being okay with not turning to food to make it feel better. Same thing with cravings, experiencing them and being okay with choosing to not eat, even though the craving exists. Um, and those are big skills. Those are life skills that we have not been taught. Like in general, when you think about it, we've not been taught how to feel our feelings. In medicine, we're actually taught the opposite. So think about your training as a med student, um, when you're, you know, taught to not cry in front of patients, even when you're giving horrible or devastating news to them, we're taught to push down the emotional side of us. We're taught just in the course of our days that you can go from doing something that's highly emotional, like um, an extreme example would be, you know, dealing with a code, talking to families about a code or a death, and then it doesn't mean your day ends after you do that highly emotional thing. You often then have to pull it together and move on to the next patient. And that next patient knows nothing about what just happened. And you have to like have a good face and be present in that, in that next encounter. And what that means is that we have developed the skill of pushing our emotions down and not experiencing them. What I would argue when it comes to weight is that we do that throughout our day. We're really good at it because it's a skill we've developed and had for a long time. We push our emotions down throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, when we finally have that chance to relax, guess what happens? Our brain's tired. It's like, I'm so uncomfortable from all this emotion we've been pushing down. It's not like those emotions go away. And then it says, what's an easy way to feel better? Well, food fits that bill. It's a perfect fit for that. 
So of course, then that's why evening eating comes up for so many of us physicians, because it's the first time in the day that we actually have time to sit down and notice that we feel uncomfortable. And then our brain is already tired. And so it looks for an easy, quick fix for it. So all of these three pillars, the um, eating food that satisfies you, the understanding your triggers and figuring out ways to manage them, the uh, experiencing cravings and emotions. This is what I do in Stress Eating SOS. So in my full coaching program, the three-month coaching, three coaching program, this is really what we work on and what all the content that's in there. So all the videos, the workbook, um, and then all the live coaching calls, what we're working on is all of those three things. And there's some special things in there because over time, I've noticed areas where uh, physicians get tripped up. And the biggest one out of those three pillars that people get tripped up on is experiencing uh, cravings and emotions without eating. It sounds really simple. And the actual skill is pretty simple. And yet, emotionally, those things feel really loaded to us. They feel almost like there's a sense of like it's scary, the idea of experiencing a food craving and not eating. And so inside Stress Eating SOS, I've added in things over the years like a guided meditation. So for all the places that I know are hard in your day, um, I've got meditations in there so that you can listen to them. And it's like having me beside you. So there's one for food cravings. So if you're experiencing food cravings, there's a meditation in there that you can just put in, listen to it and have me sitting there talking you through it. Uh, there's a meditation for processing difficult emotions. So if you're stressed, if you're sad, if you're angry, if you're feeling grief, any of those emotions, it's just a, a, a guided meditation to walk you through the process of actually processing and experiencing it so that it doesn't have to influence your eating. And then for those of you who do struggle with binge eating, there's a bonus binge eating course within Stress Eating SOS. Um, and for each of the kind of sections of the course, there's a guided meditation. So there's a meditation about kind of before a binge. And again, all the stuff that I talked about binge eating, you can use even if you don't identify with binge eating, just you change it to overeating. But there's sort of a before the binge, like when you're noticing cravings to have a binge during the binge. So if you've already started to eat, there's a meditation to put in and listen to. And then there's uh, after the binge. So if you've had a binge, had an overeating episode, there's a meditation to kind of walk you through and process how you're thinking about it. And I think those are really powerful. Those meditations are really popular with the people um, in the in the groups. Uh, and there's more, there's like a transition meditation. There's a bunch of different ones that I have in there. And I keep adding them when I think they might be helpful. Anyways, let's talk about uh, potential obstacles. So you know the pillars, you know the sort of what you need to focus on as you go forward. You've got all this information I've given you over this challenge, but where might you get tripped up? Where do I see physicians getting tripped up as they work through this? Number one, top one I would say is that old diet mentality sneaking back in. So you're here in this challenge and you're thinking, okay, this stuff's good. It's helpful. I really like this different approach. Our brains are very good at just kind of going back to what they're used to. So everything I've been teaching you is new. We've talked about this already. It doesn't feel totally smooth. It may feel a little bit like you might feel confused from it. So your brain is going to go back to the diet mentality. It's going to try to apply it to all different things in your weight loss. And the trick here is constantly redirecting it. Noticing even is a trick. 
noticing when it's going back to diet mentality. And that's where coaching, I think, is really powerful because it's pretty often where in a coaching session, somebody's telling me about something that's going on with their eating. And then through the process of coaching, we notice, hey, have you noticed that this is kind of like you're slipping into that restriction again? And that's why it's not feeling good. And that's why it then is hard to do. And that's why you're not being consistent. That's a really common scenario because the old thinking comes back. So you want to watch out for um, the just slipping back into that diet mentality. It will 100% come back because our brains have had so much practice, so much teaching about the diet mentality. You have to be perfect to do it right. If you make a mistake, it's not going to work. And uh, it needs to feel hard. It needs to feel restrictive to make it work. All of those would be what I consider to be diet mentality. There's a lot more in there. But your brain is going to slip back to that. That's going to, going to be a sort of tripping hazard, something you need to watch out for as you go along. Um, and it will do it multiple times too. <laughs> is the other piece of it. It's, it. it's like a constant redirect. Like, oh, there it is again. Redirect back over here. If for any of you have done meditation, um, when, when you get taught to meditate, it's not that you expect your brain to never start thinking about other stuff. It's you develop the skill of noticing when it drifts and starts thinking about something and moving it back. It's very similar. Uh, you notice when you're going into diet mentality and you bring it back. Notice and bring it back. And the coaching is really helpful in doing that. Um, the second sort of biggest place that I see people get tripped up is our physician mentality. Um, and the sort of secret shame that we often hold as physicians who are struggling with our weight or struggling with our eating, that we should be able to do this on our own, that we should have figured this out. And that to kind of, it's almost like we need, we have this belief that to be successful, we need to do it on our own. And that asking for help might expose us to some form of risk. And I want to say that I think this is one of the most dangerous beliefs to hold. I see it showing up over and over and over again. Um, it is not a belief that actually helps you move forward. What it does is it creates isolation. It puts you in this little bubble. It creates the struggle because if you're in this bubble, believing that you need to do it on your own, believing you should have already done it on your own, what your brain then switches into is more of the struggle, more of the work, more of the, it's got to be hard because I haven't done it yet. Um, and so it holds you in this isolated little bubble of hardness, which isn't really what you want, right? Like we want we have all have these goals for ourselves and we want to reach them but do we actually want to do it in this little bubble of hardness of struggle on our own without being able to get support probably not when we think about it that way and yet this physician sort of secret shame that's been bred into us a little bit often keeps us coming back to that little bubble and that's why i offer why stress eating sos is a group program I didn't always do group coaching. It used to be, uh, I just did one-on-one. -on -one. But what I've learned from doing the group coaching is stepping outside of this bubble. And even like in this challenge, I hope some of you guys have experienced this inside the Facebook group, stepping outside of that bubble, opening up so you're not isolated. Type in the challenge or in the chat if you've experienced this, but opening it up so you're not always isolated. 
so you don't have to feel alone where you know that there are people standing beside you who are also working on the same thing that is really important because if we think about our thought the our the way our thoughts influence our feelings um shame which is kind of the feeling we hold uh in when we think we should have figured it out so the thought would be i sh- i should be able to figure this out i'm a smart person why can't i figure this out that would be a really common thought right it then creates shame how does shame influence your actions when you're trying to work on a big goal in the midst of your really busy day how does shame influence your actions well it's probably going to make it hard to stay focused on your goal it's likely that when you're you know, encounter a situation that involves food and you have to make a food choice, if you're feeling ashamed already, you're far more likely to, you know, maybe eat the food you didn't plan. Sticking to the healthy food is not going to feel as good if you're doing it from a source of shame. Um, And that's why I think that this is such a dangerous belief to hold, the belief that as physicians, we should have figured it out. And the reality is, no, we shouldn't have figured it out. We did not get taught how to do this. We got taught skills, like what I talked about with the emotions. We got taught skills that actually make it harder to lose weight in med school. We got taught basics, but I don't know about you guys. For me in med school, what I was taught about weight loss was calories in minus calories out equals weight loss. And that isn't true. That's an oversimplification. We've talked in some of these sessions about the body's this black box. Like you can put your calories in, your exercise out, but then there's this black box of your body that then influences what you actually see from that. Not to mention all the different things that influence, you know, calories in and what you, how much you eat and when you eat and all that sort of stuff. Uh, what we were taught in medical school was an oversimplification and it didn't address the unique challenges we face as physicians. So there is no reason to hold this shame. There is no reason to stay isolated. But that is why I offer um, coaching for physicians only and physician-only groups. And I know this has come up in the Facebook group, but why I'm pretty protective of that. Of that, you know, in the Facebook group, I was really careful to try to confirm that everybody was a physician because I really want it to be a safe place. And I know that this is this unique shame is a physician. It's a something unique to us. Um, and it doesn't always feel comfortable to share it and talk about it in non-physician spaces. I don't know about you guys, but I, over the years, have like done a lot of Weight Watchers and been at a lot of Weight Watchers meetings. But the issue, because back then that was the main way to lose weight, um, and get support with it. But the issue was I'd go to these meetings and I couldn't actually speak up. I couldn't say I was struggling because I felt there was likely patience in the room. Um, I don't live in a huge city. So there were people that I knew professionally and I felt I couldn't say that I as a physician was struggling. And Amanda, I see you're saying like, I uh, feel like you should be able to do this yourself. Um, and that it feels so scary to talk about details of it totally. And you're not alone with that. That's um, why, and I think this is a big barrier. Like when I talk to people about like, come join Stress Eating SOS, I can absolutely help you. And I, for all of you in this group, I have 100% confidence that if you choose to join Stress Eating SOS, it will change your life. I can help you. This is exactly what I do. But one of the biggest barriers to joining it is this idea of, I don't know if I can talk about this in a group. And it's great that you brought that up, Amatic, because I think uh, it's helpful to share that almost everybody who joins Stress Eating SOS 
has that feeling at the beginning. But then ultimately in the feedback, the group sessions and the community that we create within it is one of the most powerful things. It's one of the most helpful parts of the program. So almost everybody comments how they're hesitant to join a group program, but that they found the group coaching sessions to be so much more helpful than what they could ever imagine. So it's useful to know that when you're thinking about, do I want more help with this? Do I want more support? Just kind of knowing that experience of previous members, I think can be helpful. Uh, All right. So we've talked about the physician shame. Like I said, one of the most destructive beliefs that we have. And I think we have this about other areas of our life too, that we should just be able to figure it all out. And it's probably what makes us good physicians. But in this area, it really isn't helping you. I've worked with a lot of physicians over the years and it doesn't help us. Um, We need to crack open. We need to reach out for help. Plus, doing it on our own is never efficient. And do you have time in your life to not be efficient? I would say probably not. (laughs) Looking at my own life, everything I do needs to become more and more efficient to actually get everything done. And this is uh, no different. Uh, Doing it in the most efficient way is how it'll probably get done. Uh, the time myth would be the other thing. And this will be something that slips in. It came up for any of you who were in the coaching session yesterday. Um, one of the people that asked me coach was talking about overwhelm and having a super busy week. And then what happens in that overwhelm is your brain starts saying there's not enough time to do the things that actually help you, the self-care, um, and starts kind of getting rid of all the self-care in order to get everything else done. This is a really common physician mindset. Um, And so along this journey, there are going to be times where your brain's like, I don't have time to meal plan. I don't have time to grocery shop. I don't have time to prepare a lunch uh, to take with me to work. And then what's really interesting when you're in that state is what does your brain tell you it should do? It just goes to like the old eating habits, right? Um, And nothing, I think it's really important when you encounter this, nothing has gone wrong. This is normal brain behavior. It goes back to what it knows under times of stress. And if you're having really busy days, really busy weeks, you're under stress. So your brain goes back to what it knows, what's familiar. Nothing's gone wrong. What's helpful as you go along is recognizing what actually gives you more time. So, and this is what we coached around in the session last night is, you know, investing a little bit of time in something that gives you self-care, whatever it is. In this example, it was journaling. Investing in 10 minutes of journaling, what sort of rewards, what sort of dividends do you get from that throughout the day? Because our brains, when we're thinking about it, we're like, if I spend that time, it's directly taking away from something down the road on the day. The reality is time isn't as linear as we think. And sometimes investing time in something like journaling, like sitting down and doing a meal plan, like participating in coaching actually creates more time. And it does that through creating efficiency by helping you maintain focus, by taking you out of states like overwhelm and confusion that actually steal your time. Um, and so it, there's a, if you're running into the time issue, I don't have enough time to do this. Chances are there's things you could be doing that an investment in that in a small amount of time would actually create more time in your day. And I talk about this for stress eating SOS because it's again, a common, like, I don't know if I have time right now to do that. I doing coaching. I think every physician should have a coach, whether, and that's whether you want to coach with me. I think if you struggle with feeling out of control with food, I'm probably the most knowledgeable in that area, but 
I'm not your cup of tea, I still encourage you to get a coach. And this is evidence-based. There's good research about the impact of life coaching on physicians, quality of life, burnout rates, and everything like that. And here's the thing. Investing time in coaching pays dividends in time. You, you will see more time. You will see things open up for you to have more leisure time that you didn't think was there, all through just shifting how we're thinking. So time isn't as linear as we think. And there are ways that you can invest in things using a small amount of time that then actually create more time for you. Uh, so if you're feeling busy and overwhelmed and you're not sure if you have time to do coaching, may actually be the perfect time to do coaching because we can coach you out of overwhelm and feeling overly busy in your schedule. It can be a perfect time to coach. And so it's worthwhile thinking about it. And as you go along, if you choose to not continue with coaching, then just notice where time starts to click in and give you issues. And for me, anyways time issues when my brain's cooking into there's not enough time that's one of my biggest triggers for eating and it has been all along it's something i really have to actively work on um because it can it it's like triggers this this landslide of like giving up all my self-care and getting overwhelmed thinking about how there's not enough time i stop you know cooking stop getting the groceries all that stuff that we all do and it creates this like um cascade of events and it's been something that i still have to catch when i'm starting to get into it uh, and i've had to work on a fair bit over the years of just figuring out how do i handle that because those busy weeks happen right we can't always predict them sometimes you think the week's going to be okay and then all of a sudden you know everybody gets sick in your office or uh, there's a whole bunch of like frail elderly home visits that you suddenly have to fit in there's so many different things that come up okay last one about where it might um, get tripped up is kind of our distorted brain thinking. I wrote this down as like worries that this won't work, like this customized approach that I've been teaching you won't work. And then your brain wanting to go back to the diet approach. And we've talked about how wanting to go back to what it's familiar with is normal for brains. That's nothing going wrong. It's um, the thing though, is it doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> so our brains are like, always looking for the shiny object, right? Especially when it comes to weight loss, because we've really been trained that there is a shiny object out there that's just going to be the thing, the easy way, and it'll just fix it all. That shiny object doesn't exist, um, but our brain will keep looking for it. I'm, I've been sharing with you and teaching you the way that it actually works to lose weight for good and to figure out how to feel comfortable around any food, to not always feel controlled by certain foods. Um, that's what I've been teaching you in this challenge and what I coach and teach and stress eating SOS at a deeper level about, but our brains will still look for shiny objects. So there's going to be Facebook posts about people like, you know, this new diet, this new supplement and, you know, the before and after photos and our brains will be like, Oh, oh maybe that's it. Maybe that's going to be better than this. It's kind of the grass is always greener. Right. Um, and what I just want to point out now as at the start of this journey for you is that the grass is never greener. The shiny objects don't pan out. You you have tried a lot of shiny objects, I'm sure, in your own weight loss journey. Um, and they probably didn't work in the way you wanted them to, or else you wouldn't be here. Uh, and so just notice when your brain wants to say, this isn't going to work. We'll just try this shiny object. We'll just switch to this. And then notice the shiny object that's offering you about how it actually feels. Um, it may feel hopeful at first, because if you have a belief that shiny object is the the thing you've been missing, it's going to feel hopeful. But then when you picture actually spending your life doing that shiny object, 
whatever it is. What does that feel like for you? Like notice uh, versus when you think about spending your life doing, living a life that you've customized around yourself that works for you. It feels very different. Um, and that's why I'm always talking about that customized approach. Um, and, you know, the customized approach at times is going to feel awkward. We've talked a little bit about this. It's a new skill. It's like when you first started riding a bike, you weren't fantastic at riding a bike. You, it took you a while to just be able to ride it. Then once you actually started, you were probably wobbly, you know, didn't look like a Tour de France rider. <laughs> Maybe you still don't look like a Tour de France rider. And that's okay, too. But this is a skill like that, working on how your mind works and how your mind approaches food, developing this customized approach, figuring out what's actually going to work for you. There's going to be times where it feels awkward. There's going to be times where it feels like it's, you know, not working in the way you want it to. All of that's okay. It's all part of the process. Um, And you just have to kind of support yourself through it. And that's, again, what a coaching program like Stress Eating SOS can do is it offers you that support in, in those times where you feel a bit more vulnerable, where you feel like maybe I'm not doing it right. So we can actually figure figure things out together. You don't have to do it on your own. So if you are, if you have been enjoying this challenge, you found what I've been talking about to be helpful, then I really do suggest the next step as being joining Stress Eating SOS. That's my three-month program for physicians only, uh, where we take everything I've learned and taught you in this challenge and we go deeper and we talk about even more stuff. The challenge, it really is just very surface level because that's all I can fit into 10 days. There's so much more that we do in Stress Eating SOS. It will make your eating better. You will lose weight if that's your goal. Um, But also everything else in your life gets better. And that's what I love so much about it. Um, If you are interested in that, registration opens in a few days. So what you can do right now is you can get on the wait list for it. Um, I'll type that into the comments here. I lost my ability to see the comments. Uh, You know what? I'll type it into the comments afterwards because I've got a little bar in the way or something. Or can I do that? There we go. Perfect. Um, And so what I would suggest, if you are interested in it, if it does sound like something you would like to consider, then just join the wait list. You'll get notified as soon as the doors open. There's some fun new bonuses that I've created like a new bonus program that's going to be available for people when they join the first day. Um, and so get on the wait list so that you know, and you can kind of start thinking about it. And then on Saturday, which is the day the doors actually open for registration, there'll be more information released and stuff. All right. Questions, thoughts. Does anybody have any before we wrap up? There, oh, one more session. I, we already talked about this, but there is that Q and a tomorrow. Uh, Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time uh, that you are welcome to join me in and you're welcome to post questions in the Facebook group if uh, you can't make that one live. Uh, But while you're thinking about if there's any questions you want to ask in the comments, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me through this challenge. I really appreciate you um, trusting me as your coach. I know some of you didn't know me at the beginning of this challenge. I hope that it's been really helpful for you. I hope that you've really learned some new things and you have some really new good approaches to apply to your own weight loss um, in a way that feels a lot, you know, more, maybe more kinder, more compassionate, better for you as an individual than what you've tried before. Um, and uh, we'll still be in the Facebook group. So 
ask your questions there. There's still going to be um, some other posts and stuff. Okay. Have a fantastic Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. Some really important stuff in there about where we get tripped up as physicians in our own weight loss. What can you take away from it? What can you apply to your life? How can you approach things a little bit differently? Now, don't forget to access the accompanying course. So the Weight Loss Kickstart course is free. Head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash kickstart. It's got additional videos that cover these tools in a slightly different way than I did in the live session. Plus, it's got a workbook so you can take everything you're learning and work on it at a deeper level. It gives you a place to kind of hold everything you're learning together is how I would think about it. Uh, It's got these really cool dashboard pages too to help really focus yourself down each week, um, which I made to be kind of as simple and as efficient as possible, but to give you the highest yield. So that's weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash kickstart to access the course uh, and all the additional materials that complement this series that you've been listening to. All right. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.